Thank you all for being with us tonight here as a Wednesday nighter, especially some of the parents who are coming out with their kids. Uh, we're thankful for wherever you're at tonight. If you're at home sitting by the fire while we're dealing with the cold, we're thankful you're watching. We're glad you're with us and uh, appreciate everyone taking time to study God's Word. The series that Wes has had in the book of James, I hope you've learned a lot from uh, this good series. It'll continue through uh, February. Uh, James is kind of like, to me, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus took the opportunity to cover a lot of topics in the Sermon on the Mount as he went sometimes from fasting and prayer to taking oaths, divorce, uh, overcoming worry. And you look at James and there's attitudes towards the rich and poor, uh, works and faith, uh, overcoming your speech and so forth. But I'm thankful for uh, uh, chapter headings, aren't you? When you're looking for those topics, now our Bibles have those built-in chapter headings and uh, they're not inspired, but they're certainly helpful. I think overall the theme of James, if we had to pick one, would be a book that's trying to help new Christians, certainly in their walk now in the faith and their direction they're taking in Christianity. In fact, if, if you had one book of the Bible you might recommend to a new Christian, I would say the book of James because of the, how it touches so many different topics and the practicality of the book and the way James is uh, getting that across. Uh, so... Uh, Again tonight in my Bible, in chapter 4, if you turn to chapter 4, we'll look at some verses there overhead as well. The chapter heading says, Boasting about tomorrow. Boasting about tomorrow. And again, as I said in James, this is kind of a, uh, in a sense, a standalone topic that James wants to touch on in the lives of of people that he's writing to. Uh, The point of it, obviously, is what you say... Uh, reveals who you are. I know who you are by what comes out of your mouth and the words that you use. It reveals what you think. It reveals uh, yourself uh, to others. And even even people in the first century apparently made plans uh, just like we do. And that's the, uh, the illustration or the point of relation that James is trying to make with these people is when you're talking about tomorrow... When you're talking about what you're going to do uh, the next day, because I imagine all of us have a date book, don't we? And some of us even have people who uh, keep a date book for you, perhaps, just to emphasize the uh, what's going on in your life. In fact, if I ask you tonight who has some plans for tomorrow, uh, there'd be very few of us that would say, I have no plans whatsoever. In other words, you, you already are thinking about uh, what you need to do tomorrow, where you need to go who you need to see, and so forth. So the admonition and advice we get from James tonight is a contrast of how people make plans, how you make your plans, more along where our plans originate from. So let's read this passage together, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And then, as I said, the chapter heading gets from this phrase, as it is, you boast in your arrogance on this way that you talk. And all such boasting is evil. So whatever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So this boasting about tomorrow comes from verse 16, and it's based on you thinking you know who is in charge of what you do. So let me just ask you tonight, do you know who is in charge of your plans? And I'm sure the married among us may automatically look at our spouse and say, honey, you are. But uh, where is James, of course, actually coming from? He's saying we boast about saying, it's me. It's me. I know what is planned for me. I know what's best. I know where I'm going. I am responsible for the decisions that I make. And isn't that what the person of the world would say? And that's the contrast that James is trying to give to these people. To them, James is trying to say, what would a disciple of Jesus say instead? What should you be saying instead? Isn't there a different answer from us? And maybe in reality, our answer is, I don't know. I really don't know how to make decisions. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know who's directing me and so forth. Uh, there's uh, occasionally in small towns, maybe not even small towns, you pass by these kind of not-so-fancy places, the palm readers, right? Or the tea leaves that people read, uh, some people talk about sky writing or I need some omen. You know the phrase, uh, I need the writing on the wall. You know, that comes for, even from uh, Daniel, from Belshazzar. Uh, often when we're thinking about plans and trying to pull God into that, we are sometimes saying, Lord, would you give me a sign about what I can do or what I should do? So we are confused and perplexed at times and maybe somewhere in between these two ways that we address our plans. But I think as a Christian, we all would say we always want to do the right thing. We want to do what God would want us to do, although our decisions are not always even about what is right or wrong. And when you look at the illustration that James gives, it's not necessarily a decision about what is right or wrong. It's not wrong to plan to go into a city and stay for a year and trade and so forth. So we're deciding sometimes simply uh, what's best or uh, what's better or what is good. And that's, I think, what's interesting about the point James is making. We, we unfortunately, added to our dilemma is our information overload that we can get in trying to make a decision because now we can find out so much information about the options that are there for us and what we may do or what we may plan when we ask, what's my next steps? And to James's readers, he's trying to put this again into the context of who they are now as opposed to who they were before. You see, these people are likely all first-generation Christians. 
they've now all become followers of God and they now should have a different attitude than before they came to Christ. And so now they are, in a sense, sheep. They are part of God's fold. And who leads sheep? Well, a shepherd leads sheep where they need to go. He takes them places that are safe. He takes them where things are secure. In a sense, the shepherd takes the sheep to the right place. They're always going to the right place. And that's why I think this verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, has some application for us in considering this passage in James. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And that's what I, th- I think James is getting at. You want to go to the right place. You want to make the right decisions. You want, your, in a sense, the analogy, your path to be straight. So I see in these verses, first of all, God wants to be my faithful guide in what I am doing tomorrow and what I'm planning to do the next year. That passage in Proverbs really looking at the, at the back part of it. He wants to make our path straight. He wants to make my future good. He wants to help me with where I'm going. He will make your path straight. Simply, He is a faithful shepherd who wants to guide you through life just as a shepherd would his sheep because He leads where? In paths of righteousness. God does not want to be concealed. He wants to be revealed in, the li- in our lives, in our life's path and direction. He doesn't give, like Jesus said, He doesn't give bad gifts to His children. When your child is hungry, Jesus said, He, do- he doesn't give them a snake. When we pray, Jesus said, don't, I mean, to pray your kingdom come and what? Your will be done. God wants His will accomplished here in our lives. So, What's the problem then? What is James pointing out then in James chapter 4 that's the attitude problem in these people? And I believe it is not the discovery sometimes of God's will that's our problem. It is the releasing of our own will. It's, It's turning that a bit. Not the discovery of God's will, but the releasing of our own. Like he said, this passage, again, in James, the verse, uh, the, in verse 16, it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. In other words, yourself is being portrayed when you make those kind of statements. Your, your attitude is not right, and who's really doing the leading here? And he goes so far as to say that kind of boasting is evil. So our struggle is not necessarily determining what God wants us to do, but also discarding what we want to do. Let me ask you, what good is a leader if you are going to do things your way? What good is a leader to you 
What good is God to you if you're going to do your own thing regardless? You know, kind of like a personal coach. A personal coach is to tell you where to improve, where to be better, and what to change. Uh, It's my understanding the worst people to have a personal coach are professional tennis players because they view themselves as kind of a prima donna. And the coaches come and go because... Players don't listen, they don't listen to their coaches. Uh, they just want an echo. They want someone uh, telling them what they want to hear. And so do you want a leader or do you want just an echo of what you already believe? What does God say? He says, it is he, it is him, not me, that's going to make my, that, that will make my path straight. And the only way that's done, according to that verse in Proverbs, is when I acknowledge Him. When I acknowledge Him, He will make my path straight. When I acknowledge Him as my guide. So also, following God's clear will positions you for clarity where His will is unclear. Now again, following what is clear positions you for following what is less clear as you go forward. Let me explain that. Wouldn't we all love for God to tell us, you know, what job to take next? Or yes, you should move here. You should sell your house now. You should change residence. Or you should marry this person. Or yes, you should have a child now. Or you should have that second child. And here's what I mean. We're wanting to know God's will sometimes in a subjective area when we were already ignoring His will in an area that is clearly defined. Do not expect God to direct a divided heart. How faithfully are you walking in God's will where it is already clearly revealed to you. Why would I ask God to direct me in a place that is somewhat unsure when I've been rejecting His will in an area that is very clear and sure? So following God's clear will allows you or positions you for more clarity in unclear paths. In fact, James, when he starts that passage in verse 13, he says, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a place. And it's almost as if in modern language would be saying now, come on, really? Is that what you're going to say? You don't yet have a clear understanding of God's will, yet you're starting to boast about your own plans. God has a clear will that applies to all of us. There's a clear will for Derek. And it's the same will for John, and it's the same will for Alan, and it's the same will for Paul. God has a clear will for all of us in areas. Look at these verses to illustrate that. These are true. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, 
not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So can you walk in a moral lifestyle and expect God to make your path straight? If you're ignoring Him in His clear will, why would you expect to be shepherded or guided in other unclear decisions of yours? Look at 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You should be doing good. You're, you're a do-gooder, we might say. You're active in that. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How are you doing with that part of God's will and being thankful and content? And Ephesians 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Another indicator of God's clear will for each of us. Life is not to be controlled by the sinful nature or our ungodly culture around us. So it's like if you can't do these things right, God, in a sense, is saying, how do you expect me to help you in other ways when these clear, direct ways of performing or acting within my will are not taking place? You know, when I was at uh, basic training about 40 years ago, one of the things we had to do was fold our underwear in six-inch squares, okay? Okay. Not five and a half, not five and three quarters, but our training instructor would get his ruler out and he would measure that, and it had to be a six-inch square, and there were three of them, three or four of them stacked in a drawer. And here's why he said you had to do that. He said, if you can't fold your underwear in six-inch squares, how can we trust you to load a bomb on a plane? And I remember I never did reply much to my training instructor, but I wanted to reply, you know, I'm never going to load a bomb on a plane. But that was still the analogy to him. Jesus even wants his people to know that being in and out of God's will is a type of dividing line between who's within the grace of God. Look at Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven? Those who do God's will. I hope God's will is clear because it is a, in a sense I said, a dividing line of who's going to be in heaven and who's not by whether or not they are in and doing God's will. I hope it's not difficult to know. It should be open to us because Jesus is saying it's a difference maker to Him. So if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you lean not on your own understanding, if you acknowledge Him in all your ways, then you are a person within the will of God and then He will make your path straight in the direction you're going, the decisions that you're making. So tonight let's assume... You are a person sold out to God. His clear will is known 
and observed by you. You understand these verses we've just read and you observe them. You have no quabbles with living within God's laws and precepts and you want Him to be your guide. Is that you tonight? Well, if so, let's take this a further step in the illustration that James gave. How are you going to discover God's will for you personally? The path that you are on tonight. Because the people in James were wanting or thinking they should go some places and they should do some things. They should do some business. And James says, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. But if you say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But you know, built into that still accounts for the fact that they have made a decision to do that somehow. In other words, you're still going to do that. Nothing's changed about the fact you may go to that town tomorrow for a year and do business, but you've changed the way that you've addressed your decision if it's the Lord's will. So how do you make those kind of decisions in your life? In the last few minutes, let me give you three quick suggestions for that. First of all, turn to the Word of God. Turn to the Word of God because it is living and active and it is the measuring stick for all divine guidance. Where else are you going to get divine guidance from? God does speak in different ways and God moves in mysterious ways. But the New Testament church started and grew before they had any writings of the New Testament that you and I enjoy tonight. The early church simply was to devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to teaching. They were told to test the prophets and test teachers and don't believe every wind of doctrine. Don't believe it if it's contrary to God's word or His will. Weigh it against what you know. In fact, the Bereans, as you know, were complimented by that, that they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. So if someone is telling you one thing, they're praying for you, they're asking God to help you, or you, you're making some decision based on what you're hearing or, or being told, but it, you know it's inconsistent with the Word of God, then certainly it's not within the Lord's will. So when you face those kind of crossroads decisions, I would encourage you to first always go to God's Word for direction. Read the Bible. Go to, go to Bible class. Go to worship. Listen to the preacher. Let the Lord help you see something to direct your path. You know, if you've preached long enough, you're going to have someone say after a sermon, you know, you were talking right to me. That is just what I needed to hear tonight and what was presented. And that's really, I've never taken that as a compliment necessarily to me, but a compliment to God's Word and a compliment to the Holy Spirit. It's also a compliment to that person because they're recognizing that uh, they've learned something from a spiritual presentation that has application to the path that they're on. And brothers and sisters, the scriptures we have to realize is not like any other book. 
Like I said, we can get information overload on all kinds of things in making a decision about some subjective area. But how often are we turning to the Word of God because it's living and active? Paul says it's the right of the... Hebrew says it's the sword of the Spirit. Secondly, request and expect guidance from God. As I said, we will go all kinds of places and we'll talk to all kinds of people before we may talk to God about a decision we're trying to make. But you know, some are not interested in knowing God's will, but only to allow God to kind of come along with them. Uh, kind of, I've got my personal journey planned and here are my intentions and here are my decisions and God, would you come along with me on what I've decided to do? Uh, that's the other, kind of like me saying to Laura, Laura, I've got our next vacation plan. We're going to Iceland. Here's when we're going and uh, things are going to be great. I hope you like it, but that's my plan for us. Well, that, that would not be as high on her list uh, as it might be for others. And sometimes we treat God this way. We pray about our plans and for Him to come along with what we have planned. And that is what James is getting about with our arrogance. So instead say, if it's God's will, be people who will ask God for an answer and not give Him the answer instead. And, and then listen and wait because it may not be an easy answer. Ask for a clear answer and then the courage to do it. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generos generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And then Psalms 143, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So this is all about asking God. This verse in Psalms 143 is a prayer. Teach me, God. Give me the wisdom to know. Because God is not leading us necessarily with an itinerary. You know, when we look at Paul's life, uh, he made plans, but he would surrender those plans to the Lord and allow the Lord to direct him in that path. You know, in June of 2015, I never dreamed that uh, I'd be living in Texas a year later. That was the, maybe the furthest thing from my mind. But God had a different plan. I'm thankful that He did and worked out the path to bring us here. And there are many unclear situations for us. Are we going to go here or there? Are we going to do this or that? And sometimes it seems God is not giving me permission or God is not denying me either. What do you do when you're in a situation and you've prayed about it, you've read the book, you've asked for guidance from different people? I would simply say if you are locked into His clear will and if you're into His Word, and if you're into prayer, then that is simply enough. Then you decide and say, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to travel here and I'm going to do such and such. But thirdly, 
God uses his people to guide us. And just briefly, the first ones that you have are who? Mom and dad. The first one that you have are your parents. I believe, I truly believe, God speaks to people through Christian parents, faithful Christian parents. The training and influence and advice one gets in a Christian home is invaluable and I hope sometimes is life-lasting. My father's been gone 15 years. He was an elder in the church. But I still, in making a decision, might say, what would my father tell me to do? What advice would my father give me? Or maybe you'll ask, what elder at the church should I be asking advice from? Or what elderly person at the church would be good to give me advice or direction? But you know, in all three of these, in getting into the Word, into prayer, guidance from other Christians, don't let the details of what you don't know of God's will crowd out the application of the details of what you do know. Be obedient in the areas that you are sure of. Simply stay faithful to God when you're making a decision because a path can be straight and yet difficult. You know, Paul, when he was given that vision to come over to Macedonia, was a direct guidance from God to say, this is my will for you, Paul, to not go where you want to go, but to go instead to these other cities. So he gets to Philippi and he's arrested and he's beaten and he's in jail and he might be saying, Lord, is this what you planned for? Is this the straight path that you wanted me on? But of course, before that night is over, a family is baptized and a church is established. And when Paul writes the letter to Philippi in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. One of his favorite churches was the one where he'd been persecuted the most. So you cannot assume because a path is difficult that it is out of God's will. Even the story of the cross. When the beaten and bruised body of Jesus was carrying the cross to Golgotha, Jesus was right in the middle of God's will. When the nails were driven in his hands, that was the will of God. And when the guards were blinded by the stone and he was raised from the dead, conquering death in the grave, it was the centerpiece of the will of God. Let me close with Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Let's close tonight with a prayer. Father, we come to you with plans and decisions that we're making personally, as a church, as groups. We are in many places tonight, Father, sometimes uncertain of tomorrow. And Father, we pray that we'll center ourselves, first of all, in your clear will for us. And Father, we'll, we'll get our path straight in the ways that you would want us to. And Father, may that clearly show us sometimes these other decisions that we, we try to make. And Father, we pray we'll, we'll be guided by your word. We'll continue to ask you for guidance. And Father, may we as a fellowship of believers be those who can assist and aid and help. Father, bless each family here tonight and where we go from here. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.